Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a weekly podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today, I'm speaking with a brother of Conception Abbey. He is a monk of that abbey in Missouri, Brother Maximilian. Brother Maximilian, I don't think, has written any books, so we're not promoting anything that Brother Max has done, except just to learn a little bit more about the Benedictines, about St. Benedict, whose feast comes up very soon on July 11th on the Church's universal calendar. And uh, maybe Brother Max will tell us a little bit about how it is that July 11th is the feast in the universal calendar, which some say is the, the feast of the stealing of the relics of St. Uh, Benedict. But uh, they observe the transitus uh, of St. Benedict, his passing from this life in late March as one of the other feasts days of St. Benedict. So, welcome to the show, How They Love Mary, Brother Maximilian. Hi, Father Looney. How are you? I'm doing very well, and I hope you're well down there in Missouri. Of course, it's summer. I'm sure it's very hot, and you're very grateful that the monastery renovation brought you air conditioning, I'm sure. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. My AC st- set at 65 degrees right now, so I'm doing just fine. Thank God. That's that's really cold. Like, my house is at 68, and sometimes I have to use a blanket because I get cold. I should put it up to 70, probably. Uh, so I uh, have a relationship, of course, with Conception Abbey because I was a student down at Conception Seminary College, the college that oh, the yeah. Benedictine monks run and operate and teach at. And so I graduated mm-hmm. in 2011, and we crossed our paths there and was able to get to know you there and uh, have followed you on social media. We mutually do that and, and are able then to uh, have this conversation today then about St. Benedict. For people that don't know a lot about St. Benedict, maybe could you give just a brief intro into who St. Benedict was just for someone who might not know him? Oh, sure, absolutely. So St. Benedict, he lived about 1,500 years ago, and he uh, developed a couple of monasteries, one at um, uh, Subiaco, which is uh, basically on a uh, side side of a mountain, I believe, in Italy, and then he also uh, made another monastery at Monte Cassino, and that is basically where he uh, where he passed away. He died on March 21st, as you were saying earlier, the Transitus. Um, so he was also the founder of Western monasticism, uh, and he has oh man, probably a little over a thousand monasteries all over the world, I think. So. And St. Benedict wrote a rule called the Rule of St. Benedict that you follow as a monk and other people who are oblates follow, and maybe other people find inspiration also from the Rule of St. Benedict. Maybe they don't ascribe to a Benedictine spirituality, but they still try to practice or implement part of that rule uh, into their own life. Right. Yes, and the rule that was um that was made when St Benedict was in Monte Cassino and that rule has been passed down from generation to generation I think if St Benedict died in the year uh oh I know it's a little after year the year 500 AD but but yeah that rule has gotten passed down and basically it not only helps us monks uh draw closer to the Lord and especially our main goal which is heaven but it also helps our uh, our 
our Oblates, uh, those who are affiliated with Conception Abbey, and also not only them, but also uh, for people out throughout the whole world uh, who want to draw draw themselves closer into Christ and get to heaven too. So it's the rule is meant to be adapted, and it's also meant to, um, well, like I said, help draw people closer to heaven. Lots of people, they are familiar with Catholic faith and Catholic life from their own parish church. I'm a diocesan priest. I'm ordained for service in a diocese. But, you know, I go lots of different places when I'm traveling, or you tell someone randomly, oh, I'm a priest. And they say, well, what kind of priest are you? Are you a Franciscan? Are you a Jesuit? And they ask you that. And so people don't really have that understanding of of the different types or who the priest in their parish is. The priest in their parish typically... Um, is a diocesan priest, although some Benedictines serves, serve as pastors and other religious communities serve as pastors, but most ordinarily, uh, it would be a diocesan priest. Now, you are a monk, and so as a monk, uh, that's a different term. So we talk about Franciscans, they're friars. We talk about the Dominicans, they're mendicants, they're friars. You're a monk. So what does it mean to be a monk? Well, what it means to be a monk, I, well, first off, I should say there are two types of monks. There are priest monks and there's brother monks. It's funny because some people usually say, well, are you going to be a priest or are you going to be a monk? And uh, usually before, um, when I was discerning that path to the priesthood, uh, I would say, well, I'll be both. And so now I now since I'm going to remain a brother, I'm still going to be both, a brother monk. So um, what a monk is, is basically, uh, you know, how you have your friars and whatnot in your diocesan priests in the other orders. Uh, if you notice, they're out in the world, they're helping, uh, like, uh, as, as my dad likes to say, that the diocesan priests, they're on the front lines of, of the spiritual warfare that's going on. While us Benedictines, we're, we're behind the lines, but the thing is, if we're behind the lines, that means we're all praying for you, we're helping you, giving you more spiritual artillery and whatnot. Um, so basically what that means is that we're more of a cloistered community, and especially during with this pandemic going on, I remember our abbot, Abbot Benedict Neenan, he said, you know, this is sort of what Abbot Froen, our founder, was mostly talking about when he wanted to found a monastery in little northwest Missouri. Uh, basically monks with no vacations and just being cloistered and together. And um, and in a way, uh, because of the pandemic, we haven't had uh, the chance to visit our families as often as we want to, but but it's more time as a community, as together. So we're more, more or less living together as a community rather than out in the um, parishes and whatnot. Now, uh, but that doesn't mean uh, we're not out there in parishes because, like, for example, we staff a couple of parishes around our community uh, of northwest Missouri, but it mean, but mostly it means that we are more cloistered within the walls of the monastery. And as a monk, you gather in your church five times a day to pray the Liturgy of the Hours. And as a priest, I pray the Liturgy of the Hours daily at the five times but I just recite it. I read it. I pray it. But you guys chant it. You sing the divine office, right? And uh, yes, we we try. We well, we try to do a Gregorian chant style. But um, but if for those for this is just a little uh, plug right here, uh, Father, if that if that's okay. Um, 
if you all want to go to conceptionabbey.org slash live, uh, you can see our, uh, our schedule for live streaming our divine office. And you can see the monks uh, chant, chant the divine office. And you can even join us for Mass too. Um, so yeah, that, we, we gather that. that. That's what we like to call our uh, daily labor. That's our ora et labora, our prayer and work. Um, because we're working for the sanctification of souls in uh, in the world, uh, for the conversion of sinners and get them up into heaven too. So, and that's what our that's what we like to think our main apostle is is that divine office. And that's that's one thing that Saint Benedictine, as a rule, really tries to plug in is is the work of God, the work of God, the work of God, and the work of God is our divine office. And oh, it's so precious to us because. It's basically next to the Eucharist. That's what gives us our heartbeat as Benedictines, especially our or or our uh, uh, lexio divina, our divine reading, to hear the word of God uh, through Scripture. You mentioned a little earlier about Abbot Frowen, who was the founder of Conception Abbey. That he came. I'm assuming he came across the ocean and he settled mm-hmm. in Northwest Missouri, and there founded this monastery and this community of monks that has been there for. Uh, so many years now, praying and working and serving God uh, in that community. So, about Conception Abbey, what year was Conception Abbey founded? We were founded in 1873 on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. So, December 8th, 1873 uh, was when we were founded, and we, uh, I know Abbot Frowen and two other monks, uh, they came over uh Around that time, uh, but I think it was in September of 1874 when, uh, September 21st, I think, of 1874 when we first started praying the Divine Office in Northwest Missouri. So we've been over, we've been here for over 140 years, and we're coming up on our uh, 150th anniversary in the next, uh, boy, three or four years, I believe. So we've been here for quite a, for quite a while. Now, your abbey is called Conception Abbey. You mentioned the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which is a feast of Mary, her Immaculate Conception in the womb of St. Anne being preserved from original sin. The village, though, where the abbey was founded already was called Conception before the abbey was ever, uh, ever came to be. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And technically, uh, when Abbot Froen and Father Adelhelm uh, Odermott, when they came over from uh, New Engelberg, uh, which is our mother house in Switzerland, when they came over, um, Father Powers, I think Father James Powers, he founded the Conception Community. And since uh, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception was uh, brand new, uh, he thought, well, we're going to name this township after Our Lady. And after that... um, the monks of New Eng- or the Mount- the monks of Engelberg came over and they said, "Well, we're going to be uh, the monastery uh, or the uh, priory because we weren't yet elevated to an abbey. Yet we were still just a dependent priory in Switzerland. Uh, we're going to be Engelberg of of Conception. So, in Engelberg in German means a mountain of angels, and that's where." So if anyone comes to visit in our Abbey Church, if they look up into the ceiling, they see all of these angels, which which represents uh, the night sky, and you see 
see like a little portal opening and you see these angels looking back down at you. So we kind of have that tradition uh having two angels on uh the front of the Basilica Church uh so the angels can bless your going and coming. Well, that's very interesting. You know, I was a student at Conception for two years, and I didn't know this thing about the mountain of angels, but I mm-hmm. guess now it makes sense why you have the St. Raphael building and why you have St. Gabriel Guest House and St. Michael Residence Hall, that they're named yeah. after the archangels. That makes so much sense now. That's also the reason, Father Looney, that, that our secondary... Uh, our secondary patron is Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel uh, in the Feast of All the Angels. So that's why we kind of celebrate September 29th in style a little bit. We have uh, we wear our kakulas, which is our, I like to call our big judge robes that we get at Psalm Profession. And um, and uh, we have ceremonies, not, not the butterfly vespers or pontifical vespers, as you students used to call it or still call it uh, back in the day. One of the things about Conception Abbey, you go there, it's a very beautiful church, a very w- beautiful place to worship God, to go to Mass, to be really caught up in the apse of the church where the Blessed Mother is and surrounded by several of the different saints, Joachim and Anne and St. Um, Saint Augustine, I think, and then you have mm-hmm. St. Ambrose, and all of these saints are there, and it's a very well, beautiful have- scene. Actually, we have that Saint Anselm Saint? on the other side. Okay, and, and I was gonna say Anselm, but I thought maybe I was wrong. But it's just a very beautiful place, and so right there, you see already when you enter into the church that it is a place dedicated to the Blessed Mother. That there, Mary is as she watches over uh, the people at prayer, as she watches over that community. Now. When you go behind the altar area, there's a statue of Mary, and I believe that maybe on Sundays you all gather back there and you chant the canticle or the ending hymn of Compline of Night Prayer, the Salve Regina, or whatever other seasonal antiphon it might be. But what's the story of the statue behind uh, that altar uh, where you all would sing uh, that hymn to the Blessed Mother? Well, I would say that statue, uh, we, I don't know too much of that history, but I know that uh, we received it from a donor, and this donor uh, bought it for us in, at an auction, and they, they bought it, uh, I'm not sure how much it went for, but, but we beat out of, or they beat out a monastery in France who was wanting it, and that statue is from the 13th or 14th century. So that statue has been around for a very long time. I'm not sure the exact history behind it, though, but I know it's something that's very special to us, especially uh, on Saturday Saturday uh, night after Compline is when we go back and we sing in front of the Blessed Virgin, the Salve, or or whichever uh, seasonal hymn, as you were saying, Father. And, you know, I always like to think that, that here... Back in the apse of the church, right up above it is the depiction of the Immaculate Conception that one of our monks did, Father Lucas Atlin. Um, and here are her sons singing to her, thanking thanking Our Lady for another great week, another uh, thanking her for uh, protection, and also thanking her for her son, too, because Lord knows we can't get throughout this world without Jesus. We need Jesus, so... 
we thank Our Lady for that big time. And that's one great thing that Abbot Benedict has brought back is a uh, Marian consecration on December 8th. And so we've uh, started, again, as a community, reconsecrating the monastery to the Immaculate Conception on December 8th and to the Sacred Heart of Jesus on the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Wow, that's a very beautiful uh, devotion to bring back, of course, and Marian consecration is very popular. And there's something to think about that, that that statue dates back to the 13th century or to the 1300s, and that you all gather behind there. And so to realize that this statue has been the object of veneration, of honoring the Blessed Mother, of calling to mind her maternal presence in the church, her maternal intercession, her mediation of grace for so long— and uh, that's a very beautiful sentiment, I think, uh, just to think about the the long history and just to wonder who was it back in the 1400s or the 1500s that who was it that was honoring Mary and invoking her intercession um, at a particular time. And now how that continues with the monks, with the students, with the guests that come to the abbey. Yeah, you, you know, Father, it's funny you should say that because I was just now thinking, which saint... Uh, wherever the statue originated from, which saint stood in front of that statue and sang the exact same hymn that we sing that we sing every Saturday night in front of Our Lady, or how many saints have sung it? But now thinking about it again, well, there's all of us here at Conception. So, and that's one thing that we always strive for every day is to become a saint. Is it hard? Oh yeah, it's definitely hard because as I, as they as I forgot who says it, but as they say, saints, we're sinners too. So here we all are, we're stri- striving for sainthood, and we're we're collected with the angels and saints gathered with us, and we sing praises to Our Lady back in front of the statue of Our Lady. So, yeah, that's something very powerful. Now, you are a monk of Conception Abbey. We've established that already. And one of the things about... Mm-hmm monks is that they take a new name that whatever your name was beforehand so let's say i was to go and join the monastery i'm edward now but i could take a new name or would be given a new name by the abbot that you Mm -hmm. probably submitted three names and the abbot chose a name for you and so i could i could submit my names and they could give me a new name so i could be Jokum or something like that. I would be taking on a new name and religion, as they call it. Your religious name then is Maximilian. You take that after Saint Maximilian of Colby, this martyr saint of Auschwitz. And I know that you have a, a strong devotion to Maximilian. And one of the things people might know is that Saint Maximilian Colby had a great devotion to the Blessed Mother. He called her the Immaculata. And uh, I know in your social media posts, sometimes you talk about the Immaculata uh, as St. Maximilian Kolbe did. So maybe could you just share a little bit about where your devotion to St. Maximilian came from and how that devotion to St. Maximilian has informed maybe your own Marian devotion and piety? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it's funny, as you as you were saying that, I'm kind of uh, starting to tear up a little bit because... Um, it all it all begins at home with the family, and every Saturday night, or excuse me, every Sunday night, Dad would always say, "We're going to say a rosary," and I credit my Marian devotion to my dad, because without him, and without that spiritual weapon that we have, the rosary, I don't think I would be here today talking to you right now, Father. 
that ro- that rosary that we pray every day is something that is so powerful, so meaningful, and that can that can convert so many people. But so many people just want to ignore it or they think it takes up too much time. And maybe some of your listeners might think, uh, you know, I would love to do that, but I really can't right now because I'm so busy with this, 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 and this. Well, I just want to, even this is your show, have, have pity on me a sinner, uh, but just a little suggestion, just start out with a Hail Mary once a day. It doesn't take more than 20, 30 seconds. And then, Make it two times a day or three or then start with the decade of the rosary and and just let Our Lady lead you where, where you need to go because without Our Lady, I don't think I would be here. But it's funny because my dad, when we would start with the family rosary, on Sundays, dad would uh, would talk to us, say, what, what has your week been like and so on and so forth. And then he would give us quotes from different saints and there was one saint that he talked about was St. Maximilian Kolbe. And I thought, who in the world is St. Maximilian Kolbe? So, um, and when, and my, my brothers, they're, they're, they are, like, they love war history. So they'll, when, when Dad said that Maximilian Kolbe died at Auschwitz, they, they perked their ears up and they thought, oh, wow, there's somebody who died, uh, uh, during, under the Nazi regime and so on and so forth. But I thought, you know, I've never heard of a saint who died during our times. Now, that doesn't mean I was alive during that, of course, because I'm only 33, but but I think you know what, what I mean. And I want to look up more information on Maximilian Colby because, like I said, I never heard of a saint who died during our times. So as I was looking up more information, the more I fell in love with him. And, you know, it's funny how... All this kind of comes about because the more I fell in love with St. Maximilian Kolbe, the more I started falling in love with Our Lady. And I remember one Saturday, uh, our Sunday rosary, Dad said said to me, Adam, that, that was my baptismal name, was Adam. Uh, he said, Adam, do you want to consecrate yourself to the Blessed Mother? And at first I thought, well, I don't want to disappoint my dad, so yeah, why not? So I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it. So, and then my brothers, Paul and Michael, they chimed in, and they said, well, I, I want to, uh, well, if Adam's going to do it, we want to do it too. And then Dad was like, all right. And then uh, my sister, Lauren, she's high-functioning autistic, and she her birthday is actually August 16th, the day after the Feast of Our Lady's Assumption. And in a way, Lauren got Dad started on the rosary because Dad was reading... Uh, about Marian apparitions happening down in Georgia. This was back in 1988. And as Dad was reading, he said to my mom, uh, while Mom was uh, in labor, he said, you know what, Deb, I think I need to start wearing a brown scapular. And Mom said, well, that's fine. Go ahead, wear a brown scapular. Because, and then Mom would say, I really didn't care what, what he did because I was in labor at that time. Uh, but it's so funny because because of my sister Lauren, who's high-functioning autistic, and and who's probably the most humblest person I know, she kind of got us all started in the rosary. And Dad just looked at Lauren and said, Lauren, do you want to consecrate yourself to the Blessed Mother? And Lauren just goes, okay. And, you know, the four of us kids, we consecrated ourselves to Our Lady on uh, the Feast of the Visitation, May 31st. And in a way, I thought 
I didn't think of it then, but now the more I reflect on it, that was probably the most perfect day to be consecrated to Our Lady because my grandparents on my dad's side were married at Visitation Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and also um, my one of my cousins um, on my dad's side was married the day before the Feast of the Visitation, and our whole Burkhart family consecrated ourselves to Our Lady. So it's so funny how, or not funny, but more like God humor, that how God brought all this together through the rosary, something that's very beautiful. It is truly a, a remarkable story of Mary at work in the life of your family and the influence of family on your own Marian devotion and choosing St. Maximilian to be your patron and uh, really to be inspired by his Marian devotion too. That's one of the things about the saints is that they really do inspire us, that we hear their stories. And that's really the premise of the podcast, how they love Mary, to really learn how the saints loved Mary, to learn how other people love Mary, and uh, so that we then can try to love her as they have loved her. And, uh, and so you've given a beautiful expression of that. How St. Maximilian Colby led me to Our Lady. The more he led me, the more I fell in love with Our Lady. And the more I fell in love with Our Lady, the more she brought me to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I've loved the Sacred Heart of Jesus, especially that devotion ever since. But No, that's beautiful. And that's what Our Lady does. And that was a realization that I had when I was working in Lourdes, France, was that that when people would come to confession in Lourdes, it was they came because Mary appeared there, but then it was Our Lady wanting to introduce them to Jesus. And so once they would go to the grotto, then they would feel compelled. They're like, oh, I should go to confession. And then they would go to the sacrament. So they came for Mary, but they received the graces, really, of the sacraments from Christ uh, because of Mary's introduction to them or introducing them to, the, to, to her son. And, you know, this is in France. This is in a secular area. And so people were coming. Some, obviously, pilgrims go there, but, but lots of People who don't really have any religion, who don't practice religion, they go there because they know that it's something they should do. And uh, they go and, and they really do experience a profound conversion. So that's what Our Lady always does. She doesn't want it for herself. She always wants to bring people to her son, Jesus. And you captured that very excellently. Thank you, Father. Um, I must say, and St. Bernadette, I I love St. Bernadette. I like to call her my big sister. She, she has helped me through so much. I used to work as a certified nurse's assistant in our Abbey Infirmary. And then um, when I started school for priesthood studies a couple of years ago, I thought, okay, St. Bernadette, you helped me through through uh, CNA, CNA work, so help me through school. And boy, she did. I graduated this year under this all this COVID stuff. And, and you know, I uh, St. Bernadette, I used to think um, I have ADD and I have a or ADD, or AD, can't, can't you tell I have ADD? Uh, I have ADHD, and, you know, I used to think that I was stupid like her, and that's one thing that really got me down a lot. But the more I grew in my monastic life, and the more I matured and whatnot, and the more I called upon St. Bernadette for help, she she's helped me so much through all, all my schooling, all of the down moments of monastic life, even and yes, there are down moments in monastic life because, hey, we're all, we're all sinners. No one is perfect. There are crosses even in the monastery. That's 
and that that's one thing that people usually think that that well he just went off to the monastery to become holy or he just went off to the monastery because he wants to be different well no i'm not different i i remember abbot gregory and i before he was elected as abbot primate we went out for a walk and he said you know brother maximilian we came to the monastery to die and I said, yeah, that's exactly right. And the reason why is because in the rule of St. Benedict, it says, keep death daily before your eyes. And our main goal, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, is heaven. And that's one thing the rule tries to push us toward is, is heaven. We try to perfect that through our monastic way of life. And Lord knows that I struggle with it every day. Now, and but the good thing is, I know that our Lord and Our Lady, they're always with me, holding me by the hand, even though sometimes I want to go kicking and screaming, but they're always there helping me, and so are St. Maximilian Colby and St. Bernadette. They're always with, with me, too, and I can feel them. And they just say, no, Brother Maximilian, just keep going, keep going. Look at the cross, your goal. Our Lady's pointing at the cross. We're pointing at the cross with you. Keep going. So that's one one thing that keeps me going. Drawing your inspiration from the saints, and I'm sure that so many people, as they listen to this podcast, have uh, really sensed your great love for the Lord and for the Church, and especially, too, for the Blessed Mother. One of the things that I do uh, at the end of the podcast of each episode is just to build what I call the Marian profile of an individual. Just a a series of rapid-fire questions uh, for you to answer just about Mary and her role in your life. And uh, so hopefully uh, I don't catch you off guard. I caught one guest a few weeks ago, uh, kind of, she's like, I I just don't know how to respond. I wasn't anticipating a question (laughs) like that. So anyways, what is your favorite title for the Blessed Mother? Oh, that's a good one. I would say Our Lady of Grace. Okay. And there are lots of different sacramentals in the church, the rosary, the scapular, so forth. Uh, What can you tell us is your favorite Marian sacramental? Oh, the rosary. It has to be. It's so, as I was saying earlier, that is such a powerful weapon. It's sort of like, I think, Pope Pius the, oh, which one? I think it's Pope Pius the ninth or tenth said that if you give me a group of people saying the rosary i can conquer the world and boy that's so true and it's not just not the world but the hearts of everybody that's what what wants to be conquered there are lots of prayers to the blessed virgin of course the most popular one is the hail mary which comes to us the first half from the pages of sacred scripture uh, what, but there are many other prayers that saints have written that other people have written as well. Do you have a favorite Marian prayer that you say every now and again? Oh, I do. It's, and it's the one that's on the miraculous medal. O oh, Mary, conceive without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. I love that prayer. And if anyone needs a miraculous medal, hook me up. I have miraculous medals. They've been touched the relic of the true cross and a bunch of saints. So... Nice. and uh, Yeah, not to put in a plug, but... Oh, please do. Uh, lots of people find the rosary to be maybe a difficult prayer. They don't know if they can engage it. They don't know if they're doing it right. Uh, what, what would you have for a rosary tip? Maybe something to help people pray the rosary better. Oh, that's a good question. And I would say just have confidence in Our Lady and have confidence and trust in the Lord. Because, you know, if if people worry about this and whatnot, then 
that's going to, it's kind of like, well, maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. This, 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 this. And you just start playing thoughts in your head. And then all of a sudden you get distracted and then you go off into la-la lane, which happens to me all the time. So I would just say, take a deep breath in and take a deep breath out. Or as my mom used to say, breathe in the Holy Spirit and breathe out the Holy Spirit and just let God and Our Lady take care of the rest. Don't worry. They're there with you. Just just let it go. You mentioned Lexio Divina earlier, this holy reading, mm-hmm. divine reading that the monks do by reflecting on the Word of God. And, of mm-hmm. course, there's lots of Marian Bible passages a person could reflect over. Uh, is there a passage about Mary in the Scriptures that speaks to you the most? It would be the wedding feast at Cana, and it would be Our Lady telling our Lord, um, they have no more wine. And our Lord said, my, my hour has not come. And our Lady says, do whatever he tells you. That's my favorite right there. Do whatever he tells you. That's where you see our intercession, inter, our intercession to our Lady come into play. Because without our Lady, how can we hear God's voice? I remember my spiritual director, Father Xavier, telling me, if you have a vocation, you have to have our Lady in the equation. Because... Without the equation, there is no vocation. So you have to have Our Lady there. Our Lady, who is the mother of all vocations, leads us right to Jesus. Beautiful. And Mary has appeared all throughout the world in many different places. She has spoken messages. A favorite Marian apparition. Oh, that's another good one. I have two. My, but I'm going to say I'm going to do my second one first, and then my top one last so it would be our lady of fatima which i love i love our lady of fatima and also our lady of lords because i like i also like to say saint bernadette she's also the, the patron saint of my mom's side of the family because almost all those miliazzo girls love our lady or love saint bernadette subaru and our lady too but there are lots of different what- marian shrines throughout the world uh of course, these apparition sites like Fatima and Lourdes, they are shrines, but there are other shrines to different titles of Mary, so they're devotional shrines. Have you been to a Marian shrine that left an impression on you? Sadly, I haven't, but I have been to Marytown, which is the national shrine of St. Maximilian Colby. And I must say, talk about a place that, that can bring you closer to Our Lady is, is that place. And in that in Marytown used to be owned by our sisters that are about a mile away, the Benedictine Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. Um, I, that that place is, with the 24-hour adoration at Marytown, you ha- boy, talk about heaven on earth right there. Talk about peace, too. Ooh. One of the things that we can realize, too, is that we don't have to go to a shrine, per se, uh, to the Blessed Mother. In fact, people set up little places of prayer all throughout uh, their their home, maybe, or their property. And at Conception Abbey, there is something that the students did, that one of the students who died, actually, as a student, um, that it was his vision to to have this Marian grotto um, back at the end of a walking path. And so in a sense, that's a shrine to Mary, not an official one, but it's a grotto. It's a place of prayer. It's where people go and they can seek her intercession. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's funny you should mention that, Father, because actually I went out there this past Saturday to pray out to our 
to our Marion Shrine out on our farm, and oh, just there's no noise, no, no noise, no nothing. You just hear the birds and the wind. Once in a while, a buzz because of the bees or flies or whatever else is out there, and you just sit and you can really listen to the voice of Our Lady talk to you in in your heart. Lots of people have written different books about Mary. The saints have. Uh, Other people, like myself, have written books about the Blessed Mother. Do you have a book that you would recommend people check out? Oh, yes, I do. And it is, um, it's by Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle. And she's a good friend of mine. And she wrote a book, a children's book on Our Lady of Fatima. And it is perfect. That has helped me so much in my spiritual life that it has taken me to, like, the next level um, and I forgot what it's called. I think it might just be called Our Lady of Fatima, children's book. And I like, uh, and I, I quote her, it's for children from ages 6 to 96. I mean, it's perfect. I mean, it's for anybody who, 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 who basically needs Our Lady in our life. And you can explain it very simply because, you know, the simpler is the better. Jesus doesn't look at at big picture, big important things and whatnot, and he looks at just the smallest thing, the simplest thing. And if you want something simple, that's the book to get, is by Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle on Our Lady of Fatima, the children's book. Listeners of How They Love Mary might know that, or remember that Donna Cooper O'Boyle was our last guest on the show as she talked about her book about Marian consecration for the family. So uh, people are familiar with Donna Cooper O'Boyle on this podcast, and so great to have you recommend her book. Oh, yeah. She's a great lady. Uh, She helps me through a lot, too. So she's a good spiritual warrior of mine, too. Beautiful. Good friend. Lastly, final question, uh, a favorite mm-hmm. Marian song. So on the Marian feast days, we hope that maybe they'll sing some sort of hymn to the Blessed Mother that we really love. And uh, do you have one that you hope to hear? Oh, I do. And I'm a mama's boy. And whenever I hear it, I cry. And it's Immaculate Mary, your praises we sing. And I don't know if I got, the, got that verse right, but but I love I love Immaculate Mary. I love that. Well, that's so wonderful. Well, Brother Max, thanks for talking with me today about St. Benedict, about Marian devotion as a Benedictine monk in your own life. And uh, if people want to learn more about you or Conception Abbey, how can they do that? Well, they can go on to our website at www.conceptionabbey.org, or they can go to our Facebook page, Conception Abbey, or then go to our Twitter, Conception Abbey, I think. And also, uh, if they want, they can even come up for a visit. But I would wait until after August 1st because um, because of the pandemic, we're still shut down up here. So come up after August 1st. We should be back open again, God willing. So. And you all also are on Instagram, so people can check you out on Instagram as well. well yes, that's right. You have been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that it has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you like this podcast, please leave a review so others might find it too. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.